The Success in South Florida podcast is brought to you by the team at Rawson Law Firm. If you need DUI or criminal defense representation, call the Rawson Law Firm at 754-206-6200 or check the description of today's episode for more contact information. The Rawson Law Firm, helping good people when bad things happen so they can achieve their best futures. Welcome to Success in South Florida, featuring interviews with entrepreneurs, leaders, and other movers and shakers across South Florida to find out how they're doing their part to enhance the local community. Your host is Adam Rawson, the founder and CEO of the Rawson Law Firm. Adam's an award-winning attorney, former prosecutor, and a lifelong South Florida resident. He became an attorney because he believes in helping those in need and in crafting lifelong relationships in the community. This podcast is an extension of that mission. Let's get to today's interview. Here's Adam Rawson. Welcome back to another episode of the Success in South Florida podcast. I'm your host, Adam Rawson. And on today's episode, I have Jamil Pelliker. She is an immigration attorney from 360 Immigration Law. And Jamil and I have been friends for the past few years. Welcome to the show, Jamil. Thank you, Adam. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here and just, you know, talk about your journey, you know, and and what makes you such a smashing success in the world of South Florida immigration law. So, Jamil, you know, where were you born and talk to me about growing up? I was actually born in Brazil in 1985, <laughs> giving away my age right away. Um, and we moved here to the States when I was 13 years old. So this was in 1999. Um, and moving here was, especially as a teenager, was very difficult. Um, I left all my friends back home. I actually had to skip a grade in school because of the way the, the calendar year is in South America. Um, so yes, I've been here for 20 plus years in the States. Nice. Now, as coming here as a teenager, I mean, that must have been really difficult. Did you speak any English? Not at all, Adam. So was it only Portuguese? Yes. And um, I mean, you learn some English in in Brazil, but it's not enough to get by in the United States to have a conversation like this. So I couldn't even order food when I got wow. to middle school <laughs> and there was no other Brazilian people in my, in my class. There was one guy, but he was really mean. So I just had to learn very fast. Right. Oh, that, that must've been really tough. And so why did you and your family move? I mean, I had no choice in the matter, but my, my parents decided to come here really just for a better life. My dad was out of work. My mom was working. I don't know how many jobs to support me and my sister. So they made that decision and brought us over. And how long did that take through the immigration process? Um, so we uh, actually came here with tourist visas and we um, they expired and we became undocumented. So I was undocumented from 1999 until 2006 when I finally got my green card. Do you want to go in and talk about some of this stuff? Because to me, this is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are very surprised when, when they see an attorney say that they were undocumented at a point in time. But yes, so it was actually very hard for me because I graduated high school at the top of my class. I had really good grades and I couldn't go to college. I interviewed with a few colleges, Ivy League schools, and they couldn't take me because I didn't have a social. I missed out on a lot of scholarships because I didn't have a social. Um, a lot of my teachers in high school tried to help, but they couldn't. Um, so that, that period of my life was very difficult. I ended up going to a community college and I paid out of state tuition for two years. Um, so I found a job that paid cash and literally all my money would go in a little drawer. And then at the end of the semester, I would just take that drawer, the, the money in that drawer and take it to the admissions office and pay my tuition. <laughs> so, you know? so they knew you pretty well then as the, the yeah. girl that came in with the they stack came with of, some bag cash. of cash. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Wow. That, that's incredible though. So, and 
walk us through, I mean, how did, you know, just on a day-to-day basis, right? Being a kid, you're, you're a kid, you're a teenager, you didn't choose yeah, like this. And, and just, yeah, I mean, especially 13 through 19 years old, you know, was this just a big part of your identity or, you know, how was that as being a kid and having these big hopes and dreams, being smart, intelligent, wanting to go to Ivy League schools yeah. and not being able to? So when we first arrived here, um, I actually had to help my parents with work because we were just being taken advantage of with the house that we lived at. So this is back when I was 13 years old. I would help my, back then they still delivered newspapers. So I would help my dad deliver newspapers at night in the weekends and in the summers. And I helped my mom um, sew and sell the clothes. When I was 13, I would sit in one machine and I would give her the clothes and she would finish sewing them in the other. Um, so I think pretty early on, I realized that I had to mature very fast, you know, and my parents were very open that we weren't documented. We had to be careful. I think they they try to like put the fear of God in us with drugs and stuff. So we would right, stay away right. from stay, that. Stay away from the police. Yeah, stay so away. If you get, you know, you get arrested, you're getting deported kind of thing. But it definitely became harder in, in high school when I wanted to get it. Like all my friends were getting jobs and I didn't have the maturity to understand it yet. I was young. All my friends were getting jobs and I couldn't get a job. Um, all my friends were applying to colleges, making all these big plans and I couldn't. You know, so that's when it just became really hard. Right. And how many siblings do you have? I have one sister, younger okay. sister. She older, yo- younger? Younger, five years younger than me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So then even with her, there was a big age gap as as well. Yeah. yeah but she, um, she actually got her green card when she was 16. So thankfully she didn't have to go through any of this. Oh, especially with college. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. How did you actually go through the process to get your green card? You said, you, you know, your parents got your green card. It took about yeah. seven years, but what was the process like for them? Um, so actually we, I was married before. And so I got it through my ex-husband and I was, so, but, but to um, answer your question, how I dealt with it, believe it or not, I became really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was angry because, you know, once again, I was young. I was angry at my parents. I was angry at the system. I was angry at my teachers. I was angry at everyone. I actually took time off school and I was like, there was no point in being good and doing everything right. You know, there's no reward. So I just um, took a year off school and I'm like, um, so that's when I actually met my ex. <laughs> right. He was, you know, um, a bad influence on me in that regard too. But I'm grateful that he came into my life at the time that he did because he helped me with that and he applied for me and I, I was able to get my green card when I was 21. Right. That okay. marriage didn't last, fortunately and unfortunately, because um, he wasn't very responsible with money, with school, with anything. Um, and actually, after I got my green card, that's actually when I um, I went back to school. And I'm like, okay, now that I have it, I have to finish. So I took you know, 18 credits to catch up for the time and graduate. We know what it's like to be young. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have a lot of, in, in our firm, we have a lot of young clients, right? Sometimes make impulsive decisions and not the best mm-hmm. decisions. And sometimes though, when you get married at that young age, you know, how did that influence you now? Like, did you learn any big lessons from that experience? I did. I learned to have communication in a relationship, definitely. And to align your goals before you get married. Lo- you know, ma- marriage is not just love. It's so much more. Than, than love yes you know aligning your goals it was just like oh i can't live without you we're together every day let's get married that's not it whatsoever <laughs> no no de- definitely not and you know I've, I've learned that as well and you know just uh the, the, yeah the, the, those are the right <laughs> lessons with with that and did you have an attorney that was 
you know, helping you through this system? Yes, actually, believe it or not. So I, um, through friends of mine, I hired an attorney. I didn't even know how I found the money to pay him. And actually, that's how I got my first job in the legal field, because he saw how organized I was with all the documents. And he was very impressed. And he said to me, like, once you get your green card, you should call me up for a job. So that's exactly what I did. After I got my green card, I called him and I said, oh, remember you offered me a job? you know, were you serious? And he says, actually, yes, I was. So I went and I interviewed with him and he hired me. That's that was my first job. Amazing. And so how old were you when you started there? I was 21. Okay. And were you just a legal assistant? I mean, what was your title role and what did you do? Yeah. So I started off as the receptionist. I was there, but I I was promoted fairly quickly because I learned, I learned pretty fast, thankfully. Then I was promoted to like a legal assistant, a paralegal. And throughout that time I was in college. So once I started law school, I had, they don't let us work if you're going to school full time. Right. I don't know if you remember. So um, I had to take a year off. And then I went back to, um, to working for him when I was in my second year of school. But I also, I always did stuff for him on the side. I babysat his kids and everything. Um, but I worked at the firm all together for 10 years, five years as an assistant and in five years as a lawyer. Wow. So okay, I got a lot of questions to talk to you about this. I think, <laughs> I think, Jamil, I think that your story is so fascinating. At what point though, did you say, Hey, I want to be a lawyer? Was it because of your experience, either being on the other side as the client? Was it getting experience in the law firm? Or did you always say, you know, look, I, I want to be a lawyer. So since I was a little girl, I've always said that I wanted to be a lawyer for a period of time. I gave up on that dream because I didn't see it happening, you know, but after I got my green card, I'm like, okay, I, this this is going to happen. But I think I picked immigration because of what I went through and what I saw my parents going through, you know, and throughout all the years of trying to be legal. So that's probably why I sort of fell into immigration, but I picked it also. I mean, this relationship with this attorney seemed like a complete win-win. Here you are, you know, as the Mm -hmm. client going then to the employee and then, you know, as a support staff, right? Receptionist, legal assistant, paralegal. And then you came back after you graduated and passed the bar exam. So then what was it like to work your way up through, you know, that one job or that, that office, you know, then to come back and say, all right, guys, I'm, I'm a lawyer now. (laughs) I didn't stay there for five years. Yeah. Um, So there's pros and cons. Um, A lot of the cons that I remember is believe it or not, there was pushback from the staff that I worked with. Um, and I remember talking about this, my former boss, I'm like, I don't understand. They liked me like last week before I got the bar results, they brought me cake and this week I'm the enemy. And right. I remember you, well, him- well, you were, you were the sister in arms before. And, right. And then now all of a sudden like, ah, you know, and it was probably a them issue rather than a you issue. Right. Yeah. That's but- what he said that, you know, it was right. It's a them issue. And they, you know, I don't know. Because I wasn't their boss or anything, but I did have a higher position where I could ask him to like call this person back for me, return this, you know, return this call, and they wouldn't do it because they didn't see me as an authority figure. Wow! That and how'd you deal with that? Not good. I had to. I just did it myself, <laughs> which okay. is not the way to go. But right. I just did a lot myself. Okay. I was, I was and- young at the time. You know, I was twenty six. 25, 26. Right. Well, and and look, I mean, when I was a prosecutor, luckily it never happened with me, but I noticed a lot of the support staff, you know, maybe in their 40s or 50s, were sitting there at some of some of the 25, 26 year old brand new baby lawyers going, You don't know what you're talking about. I've been here 15 years. I know a lot more about you know the state attorney's office and the way things work than you. I'm not gonna listen to you. And that you know, again, luckily I never had that issue, but I, I saw that quite frequently with some other young attorneys yes. and the support mm-hmm. staff. 
Exactly. So that, that's the issue that I had as well. On the, the good part is that I was able to, to kind of take on my clients and, you know, not do what I wanted in quotes, but I was able to go to court myself and do all those things that I wanted to do. But I have to tell you, it's a totally different experience, though. The experience you get as a paralegal and the experience of a lawyer. It's they're both good, but they're day or night. And how would you say, you know, how are they different? Um, well, as a paralegal, you learn a lot about the documents and what goes in what order and what gets sent where and how the system works. As opposed to as a lawyer, you kind of just get the finished product. So you may not know the intricates of the system, but you also have all the responsibility because you're right there in front of the judge, in front of the immigration officer. So you better know what's going on. And it's all on you in that specific moment, you right. know. A lot more pressure too. Right. A lot right? more at the pressure. End of the day, it's it's your bar license and and you right. want, you know, you're there with the authority figures, right? Trying to look good and advocate mm-hmm. for your client, really help people. People yeah. choose immigration law just like criminal defense to help people. Right. Um, there's many other ways to where you can be a lawyer dealing working for, you know, corporations or insurance companies where you're really not helping people. But ours our fields are very, you know, people centric. Right. And, and exactly. you know, that, that's why I chose what I do. And I know that's why you chose what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, my parents went through a lot. I remember when um, I was still in high school and they were trying to just see if there was any way that they could get a green card. We went to a lot of lawyers and we were just lied to. You know, they would talk about laws coming back. They were no longer in fact. I remember a lawyer told us, oh, you know, you just pay me all this money and I'll have the application ready when the law comes back. And the law never came back since 2001, oh, wow. you know, and we got other opinions and the, another lawyer would say, no, that's literally just throwing your money down the drain. That's, you know, you can't apply for something that doesn't exist. Right. Right. You know, and then the way that my parents were treated to by their own lawyers, I was like, there's just no humanity. And so how did that affect you when you became a, a practicing immigration lawyer? Did you hold on to that? And do you still hold on to that? I think I do. I, I pride myself a lot in not lying to clients and being honest with them. You know, we don't have control of the immigration processing times, but I would never lie to a client and say you're eligible for something when you're not. You know, we turn away people all the time because they're not eligible for anything as opposed to lying and saying that they are. Right. Yeah. And and I know from my experience with some immigration lawyers that, you know, other ones in the past, there there's there's definitely a lot of those issues. There's a lot of notarios that come right. and just take advantage of people and you know, immigration law. There there really is a little bit of a seedy underbelly to mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah. And it's it's terrible because mm-hmm. these are people, these are vulnerable people who need help mm-hmm. and yeah. Great people, right? People exactly mm-hmm. just like you and your family. Yeah. Amazing people. And you know, they're, they're just, since they don't know any better, sometimes they're they're taken advantage mm-hmm. of and it's just flat out wrong. Right. And I remember when we first met too, um, I asked you, does your firm return return calls? <laughs> you guys just point to email. <laughs> and you said, yeah, we do. That's one of the things that we do different. And I said, good, because you know nobody else does. And that's something that we pride mm-hmm. ourselves with too, is we always respond to clients um, within 24 hours. We always respond to our emails, you know. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I look at it as our firm, part of our job, at least in criminal law, is to run like a ER room triaging mm-hmm. clients and their emergencies and issues. But it's also part of our job is to give that Ritz Carlton level of experience, you know, of, of experience, client experience, client comfort. We're dealing with people stressed, you know, um, going through some real bad stuff in their lives. And it's our job to make sure that that we are their bastion of hope and their security blanket. Mm-hmm. So that's just what I believe. And I think most lawyers get it wrong. 
and they just focus on the work, but yeah. it's so much more than the work. It's about client mm-hmm. care and experience. Same thing. We equate our, what we do to doctors all the time, right? There could be amazing surgeons that have a terrible bedside manner. Well, you know, that you could be fixed by the doctor, but it's not a great experience if they don't yeah. treat you like a human being or care about mm-hmm. you. Right. And you and I are very aligned in that, which, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's why we have a great relationship, you know, yeah. and friendship and, and working mm-hmm. relationship with our cases. So Jamil, you're there five years, right? How mm-hmm. was it that you decided to say, you know what, I'm going to start my own law firm? Um, so I always thought about it, but it's very scary to start something from scratch, right? So I finally took the leap when I had my daughter in 2017. And it really was just because in, in our profession, lawyers pride themselves you know, for working 80 hour weeks and never leaving the office. And I was one of those people. I prided myself in in doing those things, never taking vacations, being the first one in, the last one out, working on Saturdays, um, taking work home. Um, my husband and I were dating at the time and he would go to my office over the weekends with my dog and he would work on a laptop and then I would work at the office and then around. You guys o'clock. are working side by side on your own things. Literally. Yeah. Quote, unquote, quality time together. Yeah, exactly. Like looking back, I'm like, that's crazy. But um, and then we would go out to dinner. So that was, you know, then Sunday we hung out. But we did that. You know, that was our weekend. But with a baby, you can't do those things anymore. So once she was born, I was like, I remember it was so hard for me, especially as a mother. I remember I would cry on my way to to the to the office because I left my newborn baby and I would cry on the way home because I left my clients you know so I felt like I was just oh, failing wow. everywhere I was just failing um and I wasn't a good I missed a lot of her firsts when she stood up I wasn't there when she said her first word I wasn't there and I'm like man I can't like I can't do this like I'm going to have a mental breakdown I just said I can't I can't do this so I left Honestly, my original plan was just to have a couple clients here and there. Um, We had no money saved. We were actually in debt because we had just bought our house. And I was just like, this has to work. I got really good at couponing. My husband did Uber on the weekends. So kind of back against the wall. Yeah. Right. You have to. So there wasn't this big grand plan that you had been working on for six months, a year, nothing. It was just no fancy furniture. It was just me and a laptop. (laughs) And so you just, I mean, at the time you just wanted it to be more of like a lifestyle firm, have a few clients, maybe work from home before working from home was a mm-hmm. thing, you know, after COVID. I mean, obviously this was before COVID and this, you said 2017. Right. Um, and yeah. So like on a day-to-day basis, I mean, this must've been pretty scary. Yeah, it was scary. There were um, a lot of times I didn't know how I was going to pay. You know, I remember thinking the rent for my room, the executive suite I was renting, it was $400 a month. And I thought if I had like two consultations a week and I charged $50, that would be enough to cover rent. That's literally like where my mind was. So that was my goal, just to have two consultations a week and charge $50. So when I had three or four, I was happy. You've built an amazing firm. So what, what happened? How did this, how did things go? First, I started with a virtual office where I just went in for like to pick up my mail and I went to the conference room. Um, and I remember the conference room was like $25 an hour and I just had to book it ahead of time. So I would try to book everyone the same day. So I would just go there one day. And then I went, once I got enough consultations a week, then I rented the, the executive suite for $400 a month. And then I got busier and I had to hire an assistant like six months in. Um, so it's pretty much like I did things because I, I had to, like I was getting busy 
So that's when I had to go and get a desk. I went to I had to go and get a better computer. Luckily, my husband does IT, so he's very good at that stuff. Ah, yes, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but but you had no you had no business plan. You had no budget. Nothing. You had no marketing no. plan, right? Uh, but you said okay, in six months, that's pretty big growth. So mm-hmm. how did this kind of you know you take off like a rocket ship? How'd that happen? So I um. So I opened my farm. It was around June or July 2017. My daughter was uh, five months old at the time. Um, so I opened the farm um, and I just, I had a few clients. I was working. I just knew that I was doing things incorrectly. I just didn't know what the correct way was. And no one in my family has owned a successful business. I don't have, I didn't have any close friends at the time that had a business. Everyone I knew was an employee. So I didn't have anybody to talk to. I was going to as many events as I could just to meet people and network. So I met a friend at a, like a lunch for women lawyers or something. And she told me about her business coach and I reached out to them. And I scheduled a call. I remember back then he told me that the fee was like $1,500 a month. And I didn't have that amount in my bank account to pay them. I spoke to my husband. He was totally against it. He's like, we have all this debt. What do you mean you're going to pay this person, you know, $1,500 a month? So I said, no, I'm not going to hire you. And then another week went by and I'm like, I need help from somebody. I guess they need something. And everybody that I had talked to said that their revenues had doubled after they hired a coach. So I called the guy back and I was like, I'm just trusting you. Here's my credit card. I'll figure out a way to, to pay this by next month. Um, and the okay. business coaches helped to me a lot. So a lot of, I learned a lot of businesses, truly mindset, what separates, you know, someone like Bill Gates to somebody that just fixes computer in the corner. It really is just mindset. They are not better, more smart. It's just mindset. So Jamil, for everybody listening to this, let, let's talk a little bit about mindset, right? What was Jamil like? What was her mindset prior to 20 or 2017 and before? And then once you started working on, you know, this mindset through this business coach, what did your, what's your mindset now? Um, So a lot of, I was a people pleaser big time. I would just do things that people wanted, um, spend a lot of time with things that I, like, I remember, for instance, this one person scheduled a consultation with me and they, there was nothing I could do for them. They didn't have an immigration case. So I just sat there for three hours, giving them life advice, you know, literally. Um, but then my business coach was like, what are you doing? This is not what you do. You're not a licensed mental health counselor. And she's so right because I don't even know if the advice I gave him was right or wrong. I, this is not what I went right. to school for. I could have told them something wrong. Um, She's like, you are a lawyer. Why are you even talking to this person? Those three hours, you could have done all these other things, you know? And I was like, yeah, she's so right. And you remember she told me, it's like, you you know, you sell apples and this person wants to buy oranges. Why are they there? They don't, they're not going to buy apples. So slowly, um, you know, setting boundaries with people, preserving my time and just working on the people pleasing aspect was big. That's huge. And so you hire this coach and did, the business just start taking off? Yes, it took off. And then, so today we have- Funny how employees. that works, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we went from having, you know, one more and then four employees and then six, seven, and then now we have 18, five years, wow, six years amazing. later. amazing. I, I know you, you've been growing by, by leaps and bounds. And Jamil, what I want to do is we're going to take a quick break now to hear a word from our sponsor, the Ross and Law Firm. I, I know those people. They're they happen awesome. to be really good people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the then best. we're going to come back and I want to go talk more about your growth and just really how you're helping South Florida and, and some advice and that you'd have for people out here. So we'll be right back from a word from the Ross and Law Firm. When something bad happens, who do you turn to? In South Florida, the answer is the Rawson Law Firm. 
criminal and DUI defense for when bad things happen to good people. The Rawson Law Firm is a team of eight criminal defense attorneys, including two board-certified criminal trial experts. They also have federal and white-collar divisions in the practice. To learn more about the team and how they can help you, connect on Facebook and Instagram at Rawson Law Firm. You'll also find helpful and entertaining videos on Rawson Law Firm YouTube channel. Just check this episode's description for all the ways you can connect. Okay, we're back on the Success in South Florida podcast with my guest, Jamil Pelliker from 360 Immigration Law. And Jamil, right before break, we were talking just about how your business is really starting to take off. You hired this coach, you're working on your mindset. And you know, so walk me through kind of 2018, 2019, 2020, just as far as now you're kind of transitioning from lawyer to maybe business owner. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and so how is that? What, what were your struggles then and there? And how did you overcome them? I struggled in the beginning as a boss because I had no idea what that role was. And it's like the first, what we've talked about before, how you were sister in arms that you said now you're like, you know, something else. Um, so it's the same thing. So you have to hold people accountable as a boss. And sometimes that that's hard, um, especially as a, as a people pleaser that I was all my life. So I struggled with that a lot, setting boundaries and telling the employees you need to be here on time, expect this from you, um, and things like that. Um, so 2000, so in 2018, mid 2018, we moved to the office that I'm in now, um, and my rent just like tripled. I remember having like panic attacks. I'm gonna pay this. <laughs> yeah, it was like this is just so much money. But my business coach was like, "You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine." I was like, "Well, how am I gonna get the money?" But I needed it. I had no room where I was we were all like on top of each other you could hear one person on the phone it was horrible we needed more room um and then in 2019 we ended up renting the office next to us and then later on the office in front of us and then the office over there so we pretty much took up the first floor in my building four suites now in there yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Right. yeah yeah you know that that's crazy and and I have a very similar experience in 2017 I think my rent was four hundred dollars a month out in our sunrise office and it was just you know, same thing, running out of room, starting to grow. And I moved to our office now in Fort, well, in, into the same building that we're in, in Fort Lauderdale. And my rent went from 400 to 1300. And I was like, oh my God, this is so, such a big jump. How am I going to yeah. do this? And mm-hmm. from there, we were in one suite shared with like four other lawyers. Then we took over the a whole suite really to ourselves. And then since then we've added on two more suites next door and next door. Mm-hmm. And now I think we have like 5,000 square feet and our, our rent is really high now yeah. and we have two offices, but man, I was so terrified to go from $400 a month to 1300. It was crazy. And looking back, mm-hmm. I was just like, Adam, like, come on, like you were so silly, but mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. And look at that time, I didn't have the coaches and the mentors that you had. So I, I didn't, I, I waited too long, I think, to really start developing those. And I think my trajectory would have been much faster mm-hmm. if I had invested in mentors, coaches, accountability partners uh, back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm really grateful for for my coaches because I don't know. I told you that. I don't know how you did it without help. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I listened to podcasts like this. I listened to a lot of different things, but I didn't really have anybody, any groups until about 2017, 2018 to say, hey, Adam, you're you know, like you're being silly or in my experience, mm-hmm. I did this. Right? right. And that's just right around when I started to, you know, started it. Um, and yeah, it was so hard. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so hard. 
But, uh, you know, now and now one of my big goals is to make sure that I develop relationships with a lot of people, especially people who have been there, done that, who are bigger than me, um, relationships, friendships, to call them mentors and friends and, you know, to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody when you need advice is, is immeasurable. So as you're growing, what was it like when you hired your first attorney? Oh, my gosh. So let me... That was in 2000, I think it was, no. So before that, um, I want to talk about the pandemic. So everything okay. was going well. And then in 2020, the pandemic hit. Um, and I remember I cried in the conference room with my staff. I was like, you know, your job is safe. I'm not going to fire anybody for lack of money. I will not pay myself before I have to fire any of you guys. But I'm really scared. I don't know how I'm going to pay all these bills. And I just cried. And everybody was like, don't worry, we're going to, you know, we're going to do our best. And I think it was really good for the staff. And most of them are still here. About 90% of the staff of 2020 are still here. Um, oh. I had just hired someone the week before. And she's still here. And uh, she really went all out on the phone. And she was just scheduling people left and right for paid consultations. Um, everybody was just pushing to hire, to have clients hired, to get the bills paid. My billing manager was, you know, when people were calling saying, I don't have the money to pay my monthly payment. She would say, well, if everybody says they don't have the money, we're going to close the office. Why don't you pay something? Instead of $500, right. pay $50, $100. So, right. you know, that's how we made it through. But I'm so grateful for, for my staff because if we weren't like we became so close after that um like a like a little family really but we made it through and then people were working from home but they didn't like working from home so people started coming into the office but we we're pretty far apart so that was fine um and then I wrote them all letters saying they were essential in case they got stopped by the police so everybody you know the right, whole world yeah. went through that but it was so hard as a business owner with um staff and clients that depended on me so I made it through that um and then my business coaches were telling me to hire an associate probably since 2018 or 19, but I was very scared. Well, well, Jamil, but before we get to the associate, I, yeah. I want to talk about COVID and what you did, yeah, yeah. because to me, that shows extreme leadership. Oh, thank you. The fact of you, you know, bringing everybody like in, kind of huddling <laughs> up. Right. But listen, you know, there's, I, I believe there's strength and vulnerability. And I also believe when you get up there and you say, look, we're in this together. I'm not just, you know, the boss, the one who's going to make all the money, right? Because you don't know, sometimes the employees mm -hmm. don't understand how much money it actually takes to run a firm. And they may see all this money coming in, but not realize that, a, you know, a very small percentage goes to you at the end of the day. And usually right. the business owners get paid last, right? Mm -hmm. Employees get paid first. And so not a lot of people understand that. But for you to say, listen, if it means I don't pay myself, y'all are safe. That's extreme mm -hmm. leadership. Um, and especially I'm sure you saw it, but I saw it in, in so many different fields, immediate layoffs before the world even closed down within a week, within a week of people of, of the world closing down, mm -hmm. laid off 20, 30% pay cuts immediately before anybody got a chance mm -hmm. to get any PPP money before we knew how long this was going to be. I feel like a lot of companies just completely overreacted and we, and, and, you know, at Ross and Law Firm, we actually did the same thing. We went from three to six employees. We had three employees who were with us for less than 90 days. And we huddled up too and, and said the same thing. There there weren't tears, um, <laughs> but there there was definitely stress and anxiety behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. But I said, look, we're good. We're safe. Nobody's going anywhere. And in my mind, I knew maybe we had like six months, six to eight mm -hmm. months, but I, I always, I'm a you know good saver too in that regard. And we just went to work and just hustled. 
you know, kind of like you guys did. Um, but I, I just think that's tremendous from a loyalty standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, because, you know, your employees were probably terrified. Oh my God, what happens if I get fired? What happens if I get laid off? How are they going to pay their bills? So whether it was just your human nature or an intelligent, like well thought out decision, it doesn't matter, right? It just, it shows amazing leadership, I I believe. And I think there's a huge lesson that everybody listening to this can get from your COVID story. Yeah, part of it was advice from my coaches, but I think this is where just being human comes in. Also, it's also personality. But Mike, I remember a lot of the staff, they were the only one working in their whole family. You know, back then, I remember my case manager, she used to live with her sister. She's like, let's say 21. Her sister was in high school and her mom and dad, her mom and dad were laid off um, and her sister was working part time at a restaurant. She also got laid off. So she was the only one, like a 20 some year old supporting a family of four, you know, with the salary that she was getting here. A lot of the staff, like their parents were laid off, their spouses were laid off. So if it wasn't for this job, they would have no food, you know. Wow. And I also gave yeah. people like a lot of advice about like, if anybody needs any advice about hustling, just come to me. I know how to hustle. And they did. They're yeah. like, you know, I don't have money to make rent. What do I do? And I would say, call up your landlord and say, you have half. They'll take it. And that's what they did. They're like, oh, I have half. Can I? And they just, just made it through, you know? And actually one of my assistants, her husband took the opportunity to open up his own pool business. And I gave him advice about that. Because he was laid off as a pool cleaner. So he went and opened his own pool business at that time. Good time to start, right? And start building your own thing. And when when I say that, you know, my firm, we're community and relationship builders, I I think you guys are the exact same. And that's why we have the podcast is to talk about South Florida, right? Our our community. And what you did during that period, you know, you were helping our local community kind of band together, Mm -hmm. you know, on a a small level, but that's small and mighty. That's impactful. Right. And and it definitely um, you, know, you see how many more people mm-hmm. that spirals into yeah. affecting when you're talking about one person yeah. in a family of four or five that is actually still working during you know the, mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, yeah. it, it's amazing, you know, what you were able to provide for your team yeah. and our community. And, and even with um, clients, too, I remember I got quite a few calls and I was very surprised of clients saying, hey, you know, I have, you know, my, I have my case needs to be filed, but I can't get a hold of my lawyer. I went there and the office is closed. There's nobody there who doesn't answer the phone. And I'm scared because I have to file this. I'm like, come on over. We'll figure it out. And he would just, you know, the clients just bring what they had and we got the case filed. And then like five weeks later, after, you know, after the restrictions were lifted, the, the lawyer reached out and they were like, no, I hired somebody else. Or, and one thing I told people is that deportation machine didn't stop. People are still getting deported in the pandemic. Right. Um, immigration was still issuing letters called a request for evidence with deadline to respond. So, you know, things needed to keep moving. So I had a lot of clients that called and said, I have this request for evidence to do in a couple of weeks and I can't get a hold of my lawyer. I don't know if it's being filed or not. And I would just help them. Right. Yeah. It's a huge opportunity for you. So that's amazing. So now here we are in 2023. So you said 18 employees, you've built this, this great machine, you know, 360 immigration law. What's on your radar now? Where is the firm going? I'm sure you have some big plans. Um, so we are looking into moving. I may or may not buy a building. So I felt like I felt very grown up <laughs> when I spoke to a right. lender about like a four million dollar loan. I was like, say what now? <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So we're in the works for that. Do you have any places in particular? So before I go looking, I want to get the okay from the lender so I don't get my heart broken if I see something that I like and I can't afford. Um, So we're in the process now of getting pre-approved. 
And there's also loans from the government that they know. There's SBA loans and, and things like that for business owners. Mm-hmm. So um, we're in the process of that. Um, and then just try to keep helping as many people as I can. There is not a lot of ethical attorneys out there. So I'm happy to be one of them that truly is honest with clients and Absolutely. helps them. Just get people as many green cards as I possibly can, citizenship as much as I can. And on the personal side, just try to be present for my daughter because I missed a lot of her first year growing up, travel in the summers, things like that. Did, did you ever think coming here not being able to speak English that you'd be talking oh about gosh, a no. multi-million dollar loan on oh a commercial God. building? No, no. I I just want to get pizza for lunch. <laughs> you know, there's no <laughs> right. way, no way. Even if... um. When I was a lawyer, like five, let's say seven years ago now, if someone had told me this is where I would be, I would, I'd be like, no, you, you have me confused with somebody else. Yeah, I know, right? It's, it's so funny how, how just things work. And, and now, right? So looking back, saying, oh, I could never have pictured myself here. Is it easier now for you to picture yourself in these positions and even bigger and and you know bigger and mm-hmm. bigger? Yeah, right. I am. Um, okay. I was just telling yeah. my staff that yesterday. I was like, "Listen, if I got through this, I can get through the next hard thing." You know, it can't be harder than what I went through before. You know, being here undocumented, leaving a fairly cushy job that I was making good money to zero money coming in, and just hoping right. that it was going to work. And do you stay in touch with your with that immigration lawyer, former employer? Um, no, unfortunately, the split wasn't very amicable. At oh, the end. Okay. So I see him around. I mean, I have no hard feelings. I'm very grateful for all the experience and for his help. But no, not so much. No. Well, you know, that, that that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're doing amazing. So we've, we've talked about kind of the role of, of mentors and, and, you know, the great advice that you've had in leadership. What advice would you give to anybody listening to this? Uh, just, uh, you know, about everything that we've talked about. So either get a business coach or if you can't or for whatever reason not able to, do what you did. Listen to podcasts, really work on changing your mindset. And I love what you said too about surrounding yourself with people that are doing better than you, other business owners, people like that. Don't go talk to employees that have been the same job for 20 plus years. <laughs> Their mindset's totally different. No government workers, <laughs> right. you know, people that have had any kind of business and have succeeded. Those are the people to surround yourself with because their mindset is where we need to learn from. And are you still out going to events and networking and hustling like you did back in 2017 or is it? No, more not just, so much. Know? I should, I should be doing more, uh, but as the business grew, I need to sometimes do more in the business than outside the business, but I should do more. Right. Yeah. But also your daughter now, how old is she? Yeah. Six. Right. Six. You, you want to be present. Life, yes. life changes, right? Mm-hmm. I, yes. I was I was out and about everywhere back before I had kids and I'm, I'm still able to manage to do a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it, it's just a whole different mindset. Yeah, right? I think um, my business coach was just asking me about next level where I want to go. And I was saying that I think I might just want to park the car for now. And when she gets a little older, then I'll push again, you know, because right. I don't want to miss these years with her. And there's nothing wrong with that. And especially, you know, you and your husband work, you know, me and my wife, you know, we both work. My wife's a prosecutor, you know, as you know, and so she, mm-hmm. you know, we're both out and about in court, you know, doing all these things and it's hard. It, it's hard mm-hmm. to be a parent, but uh, we, we make it work. All right. So Jamil, thank you so much for being here and spending the time with us. Mm-hmm. How can people get in touch with you? So um, I'll leave my office number. It's 954 954- Six six seven three six six zero, and if you just Google three hundred and sixty immigration law, we should come right up in Instagram as well. 
360 migration. Okay. Yeah. You're you're all over Instagram. You have great mm-hmm. stuff. I, you know, we follow you. We we do some Thank collabs. You. We'll definitely be putting this stuff out there. Um, you know, so anybody that has any immigration issues or questions, concerns whatsoever, you guys are absolutely fantastic. I know you've always taken great care of our clients that we love hearing back the, you know, from our clients that you guys are helping and they're saying, oh, Jamil and her team are amazing. So, um, and look, I'm sure if anybody even just wanted to hit you up for, you know, advice or to develop a relationship mm-hmm. with you, I know you're such a kind giving yes. person. So I would highly encourage anybody who wants to seek you out. Um, you know, to build a relationship with you. I know you'll do anything to to help another person. Yes. Yes. I would be honored. I have actually, the other day I got an email from a high school student that they're thinking of going to law, to law school. And I don't know how they found me, but she's like, would you please talk to me for a few minutes? I was like, oh, I feel so honored. Of course. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think that's about pushing it forward and, and really making things happen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm all about that. And, and I know you are too. So Jamil, thank you so much. Uh, and I can't wait. Maybe in a few years, you know, we'll we'll check in, see how you're doing. I have no doubt you will be the immigration queen of South Florida, if not Thank the world. You, <laughs> Pretty soon. Thank you so much. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you for having me. Bye.